The Audible's NFL podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy sports with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code NFL Podcast at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code AUDIBLES for $20 off your first purchase. Doug, you had the Detroit Lions as your number one seed at the end of this year. Are you still confident in that pick? Uh, no. <laughs> Who are your picks, smart guy? I don't make... Nobody asks me to make picks, okay? Well, shut up. <laughs> That's not nice. What is happening, everybody? This is the Sports Illustrated Audible's football podcast. I am your host, John DePietro. I will be joined shortly by SI.com's resident NFL experts, Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. This week, the guys and I discuss the awesomeness that is Josh McCown in Cleveland right now, Todd Gurley's Hall of Fame chances, Playboy magazine changing the way it does business, and who is more scary coming to town, Godzilla or the New England Patriots? All on this week's edition of the Sports Illustrated Audible's football podcast. Chris Burke, Doug Farrar, what's going on, guys? How was your uh, Columbus Day weekend there? Full of NFL excitement, I hope. Uh, yeah, it was a very exciting Sunday and certainly an exciting Monday night for the Pittsburgh Steelers more than the San Diego Chargers. What did you see in that Monday night game there, Chris? Uh, I mean, I think it was two teams that I thought were going to be better this year. The Steelers have been held back, obviously, by the Ben Roethlisberger injury. For you know, San Diego, that's a pretty brutal loss for them at home, last second against a backup quarterback who, for three quarters at least, it didn't even seem like the Steelers trusted Vic to throw the football based on the play calling. So they let that one get away for sure. I mean, a really good win at the end for Pittsburgh, and you know, it, the NFL has a way of. Uh, finding these dramatic moments and certainly that was that ending the last three minutes and everything that happened in it was pretty dramatic yeah monday night football certainly been giving us some topics to talk about here on audible's podcast as we record on tuesdays doug there was a little bit of controversy uh for a, a second week in a row here what uh what'd you see there with this with Clockgate? uh oh good another gate well i saw what everyone else saw that as the uh after the Chargers kicked off and the Steelers had their last drive, the clock operator uh, let 18 extra seconds run off, and the Steelers were denied those 18 seconds, and had the Steelers not score that last second touchdown, that'd be pretty much all we were talking about right now. The NFL, at the time we're recording this fabulous podcast, had not released a statement regarding what happened, but I find it interesting that they had this huge command center in New York City and nobody caught it. Sense a little sarcasm in your fabulous podcast comment there. Uh, there's more sarcasm in the command center, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. I read that wrong. Sorry. Uh, so, let's get right into the guts of this thing and start with our week five overreactions. Overreactions. All right, guys. Week five, overreaction number one. Holy cow, stop the presses. The Cleveland Browns actually have a quarterback of the future, and it's Josh McCown. Please stop bringing up this Johnny Whoever character. Josh McCown is the man in Cleveland. Let's stick with him and get Johnny football out of here. What do you think, Doug? Uh, I think Josh McCown is the quarterback of the present. He's had three good games in a row. Um, 
hasn't really done anything over his long journeyman career outside of one half good season in Chicago a couple of years ago to prove that he is anyone's long-term solution. But, you know, I think the Browns, part of the reason the Browns are unfortunately the Browns, they keep going back to the quarterback. Well, they, they got Brandon Whedon, which is a horrible first round pick. They got Johnny Manziel, very questionable first round pick. And they're probably going to be going back to the well in 2016. And this is just not how you run a franchise. I, you know, and, and Mike Patton has said that they're in this to win now. And that makes sense. But, you know, we'll, we'll see going. And we've discussed this before, obviously. You go down the road. And if you start to get out of the playoff hunt, then maybe you start to see what you have in Manziel. But I could see the Browns taking another first round quarterback in 2016 and, boy, at a certain point, you just got to get this right. Come on, Chris. Josh McCown's the man. Come on. They beat the Baltimore Ravens. That's a huge win. Come on. Is it? Come everyone's on. Come on. beating the Baltimore Ravens this year. Uh, if you're, in, I mean, if you're in Cleveland, it's a big deal. Yeah, sure. I mean, and like Doug said, I think Josh McCown's playing fine right now. I think you have to give credit to their coaching staff and uh, offensive coordinator uh, John DiFilippo over there about the, the type of game plan he's put together. They – you know, 300-plus passing yards the past three games and 400-plus against Baltimore. So they're using the weapons they have. Duke Johnson's been a nice addition in that backfield, as everyone expected he would be. He's a he's a pass-catching back. They used him a lot, six catches this past week. So I think they're doing a nice job drawing up plays and getting the ball into their hands as the few guys they have that can make plays downfield. But... Yeah, I mean, McCown's 36. Uh, we've seen him go. We saw certainly go through this hot stretch in Chicago before he signed the deal in Tampa Bay. And I can't imagine that anyone in Cleveland believes that he's just suddenly at, at, at this point in his career going to turn into a Pro Bowl quarterback. So you try to get what you can out of him. I mean, the reason they played him in the first place, I, I mean, uh, other than Manziel's off-field issues, the maturity questions, the main reason they played him is because Mike Pettin wants to be a defensive-minded team. And, you know, he wants to have a quarterback in there that manages the game, doesn't turn it over, lets them establish the run and win with their defense. Their defense has been pretty awful the last few weeks here, so they're having to change the game plan on the go and, and open it up a little bit. It worked, but I don't know that it's sustainable because I don't know that McCown's level of play is sustainable. And, uh, you know, I... I do think their lack of overall talent on offense is going to catch up to him at some point. But for right now, sure, he's playing well. There's no reason to get him out of there. They're giving up 5.33 running back yards per carry, by far the worst in the league. And they gave up, I think, the worst uh, running back average last year. And that's with Danny Shelton in there. So you, you, you got to kind of wonder what's going on on both sides of the ball. And a tough stretch coming up, too. I mean, they have Denver this week. Then uh, they go to St. Louis, Arizona, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. That's their five before the bye. So if they get out of there three and two, it would be incredible. Uh, wow. I mean, I, I mean <laughs> do whatever I you can to get Todd Gurley on your fantasy roster against that run defense. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, and Chris Johnson and <laughs> Gio Bernard. I mean, uh, they're going to ha have a really tough time. Because I, I don't know how you – I don't think they can keep scoring 30 points a game against the Denvers and the Arizonas of the world. So then what do you do? What about the other side of the 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 ball there in that Baltimore game with the Ravens there? One and four. 
What's really gone wrong with them this year, Doug? Well, injuries on defense. Their secondary still has been struggling. They've had some real big draft misses. Um, I'm not quite sure that the Mark Tressman joe Flacco marriage is working well. Flacco has not played well this year. He's been under a lot of pressure, but he's been really erratic all season. Um, really, Justin Forsett is kind of keeping their offense together. And it's it's just, you know, they're, they're going through a stretch where they're not performing on either side of the ball. It's more easily explainable on defense because of the aforementioned front seven injuries and secondary issues. But, you know, this is I start to wonder about Mark Trustman because Cutler didn't really perform all that well under him. And now Flacco is regressing. And I'm wondering if some of the shine isn't being taken off of Mark Trustman's quarterback guru label. Chris, do you see this as uh, chalk it up as a bad year for the Ravens, or are there long-term problems there? Yeah, well, I mean, you talk, Doug talks about looking at Mark Tressman. I think you have to also have to look at on the other side of the ball and look at Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator there. I, I can't imagine they're happy with anything that's gone on. And the injuries, secondary got clobbered by injuries last year, having issues again. I think losing Suggs changed the whole outlook for them because you can kind of mask – a shaky secondary if you have a really good pass rush or vice versa if you don't have an okay pass rush and a great secondary you can you can get by but you can't be mediocre both spots and right now they're mediocre in both spots so that doesn't leave a whole lot to hang your hat on defensively and uh yeah I mean Steve Smith was out of the lineup this past week Brashad Perriman who knows when they're going to get him actually on the field um so yeah, I mean, they're they're struggling. We haven't seen Ozzie Newsom go through long gaps like this where he misfires on several things in a row, but certainly there are, are some uh, moves that can be critiqued. And, I, you know, I I still don't think that they're... To me, you look at some of these 1-4 and four teams as kind of almost in a total rebuild situation. I don't think that that's the case with Baltimore. I think they're a couple tweaks away, get a couple guys healthy, and they can be... A really good team again, but right now, I mean, they're one and four. They should be zero and five. I mean, Pittsburgh should have beaten them in week four. They missed those couple field goals. I just don't know that they have uh, anything to really turn it around this year. So it's tough. I think that they've got to figure out what they did, have been doing wrong in this, mainly in the secondary. The secondary has been an issue now for for several multiple seasons, despite what looks like a decent talent level there. What do you think, Doug? Long-term problems there in Ravens land? Mm, well, they got to get Paramount on the field at some point, as Chris said. Uh, this is Smith's last year. You know, losing Torrey Smith hurts their vertical game, uh, obviously. I think, you know, the Eugene Monroe injury, uh, you know, Urschel is a, you know, he's a decent fill-in, but he's not played well this year. Uh, Yond, Marshall Yond is coming up on a free agent season, I'm um, not sure off the top of my head what their cap situation is, but if it's not a total rebuild, they got to get a whole bunch of new pieces in there. I mean, they, you know, the Smith kid has not been great. They completely whiffed like uproariously on Matt Elam. So they, I mean, they're, they're kind of where the Steelers were a couple of years ago when Kevin Colbert kept making horrible defensive draft pick after horrible defensive draft pick. Um, you know, Elvis Dumerville is getting older. Terrell Suggs is getting older. Um, they've got, you know, they've got Upshaw, they've got the, the two good inside linebackers, but, you know, I don't know where their next pass rusher is. So it, 
it, I would say one more year of not refilling the coffers at their skill positions on offense and defense. And yeah, at that point it could be. All right. Next overreaction. Oh, and five Detroit lions. They are the worst team in the league for this week. Anyway, it's time to tear it all down in Detroit. What do you think, Chris? I mean, I think they're, they played like the worst team in the league in week five. I don't know that they're necessarily are the worst team in the league. I still think they get to a handful of wins, but they have to look at what they want to be doing long-term. And I think that starts with Matthew Stafford. The questions about him haven't gone away. He seems to be regressing under Jim Caldwell, who's one of the main reasons they hired Jim Caldwell was because they thought he could help Matthew Stafford get better. And that hasn't happened. Joe Lombardi came out of that New Orleans system that, you know, you thought you could open up the offense in a similar way to the saints. And they, they just look like they have no identity on offense. Calvin Johnson, is uh can still play obviously but he's getting older he's not the play you know not the dominance was whether it's because of physical reasons or the play calling probably a combination of the two so they've really got to go back to the drawing board yet again this offseason look at the coaching staff I think general manager Martin Mayhew's in a world of trouble there because you know he let Sue go he didn't like Sue go he couldn't keep Sue he, fairly left he's tried to build up that offensive line and really no one up there is playing well for them right now uh, it's tough I just don't unlike Baltimore where I think you make a couple tweaks and it's a team that can be back in it the Lions seem to have bigger issues on their hands mainly because they just don't have anything going offensively so um I still think there's enough talent in Stafford to win games with him, but not the way they're going. I think that offense needs to be scrapped and and just they need to go back to square one and kind of let him be Matthew Stafford. I think they're trying to turn him into a you know pro-style quarterback to some extent where he needs to be that hurry-up, spread offense, almost with what, what we're seeing Chicago do with Jay Cutler. You know, Just let him go wing it. Uh, I think and... <laughs> I think what you say right there, Chris, bear, has the most merit in what's going on with Detroit. And I, you know, I I would put less blame on Mayhew. Um, you know, he hired Terrell Austin and that defense. That's true. You know, you know it, it, they got the Golden Tate signing was great. He had, I mean, Reef is playing well. Warford is good when he's healthy. The center's good. You know, uh, it ostensibly. You've got Amir Abdullah, who, when he's allowed to play, plays well. Um, I would put this almost entirely on Jim Caldwell and especially Joe Lombardi. I mean, talking to both of those coaches a couple weeks ago, um, watching their tape, I'm kind of astonished at how graphic the miscasting of their offensive personnel is to their scheme. I mean... Lombardi said last week that, you know, well, we take Tate out on, you know, certain packages because that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. I've had people in the league tell me that basically, you know, when they they, they take this player off, it's a run. They put this player in, it's a pass. Um, and I don't think Caldwell has the gravitas, the overall command of the situation. Uh, you know, it, to me, you can – well, you're going to have to save Stafford because, you know, next year it's, it's $11 million in dead money. You can't really lop him off the roster until 2017. Um, I think that you need to get rid of Caldwell, who, by the way, they hired over Ken Wisenhunt. Oops. 
and Lombardi, I, I just think their coach and their offensive coordinator are completely out of their depth. I, I think they also have made a mistake several years running now by not drafting another quarterback. And they yeah. had Kellen, Kellen Moore on the roster was never going to turn into a real threat to Stafford. He got benched for Dan Orlovsky. Certainly Dan QB Orlovsky's wins, not going to be your quarterback. Kellen Moore had QB win. <laughs> I mean, I think they've got to go the Saints route and bring in someone who they can at least develop for a couple of years and then see what they've got because I don't know that it's ever going to click with Stafford. And you mentioned talking to Caldwell and Lombardi. I was out there. I mean, I've been out there a few times since they got hired, but I'm thinking back now to last year's training camp after Lombardi had gotten in and how excited that staff was about bringing in a fullback and bringing in Jed Collins and what he could do to that offense. And, at the time, it seemed kind of interesting that you know they they could be more implement the run more, be tougher in short yardage, and now I look back on it as kind of a sign of things to come, <laughs> sign of the trouble ahead because they're trying to be something that they don't need to be. You know that it's nice to be able to win in short yardage if you can, but they don't need to be, uh, you know that so-called ground and pound team with the personnel they have. They should be four and five wide, getting their tight ends into the slot you know, moving Abdullah around and, and throwing the football to him and let the run game come when it comes. I, I don't know. I just It's really difficult to watch them and figure out exactly what Joe Lombardi is trying to do. Well, we see this far too often. I'm actually writing an article about it today. Um, coaching staffs come in and they they or players come in and the coaching staff tries to retrofit a player to a scheme in ways that just don't make any sense. And you think of... A lot of the Lions situation, Jimmy Graham in Seattle, um, what Gary Kubiak was trying to have Peyton Manning do in the first two weeks of the season. Good Lord, DeMarco Murray in Philadelphia. They're trying to make him do everything he's never done and is not good at. And I think you're, you know, as, as you astutely pointed out, you're seeing a lot of that in Detroit. And I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the number of NFL coaches, really smart guys, who don't understand how to best utilize their unique personnel. It is every year it happens. And every year I just, I, I smack myself upside the head and I go, well, there it is again. Doug, you had the Detroit Lions as your number one seed at the end of this year. You still confident in that pick? Uh, no. <laughs> Good choice. All right. Next overreaction. Todd Gurley. Who are your picks, smart guy? <laughs> I don't make, nobody asks me to make picks. Okay. Well, shut up. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> I actually picked the Saints to be win the Super Bowl. So, oh, there you go. No, mm-hmm. that's not true. That was Chris last year. Yeah, and I picked the Ravens this year, so I should probably just stop. I guess I can pick picks. I mean, I I do just as well as you guys, I suppose. Uh, all right, it's early this time. <laughs> Next overreaction: Todd Gurley is going to the Hall of Fame. He's the best back in in the league right now. Put it in the books, Doug. Uh, he's probably the best back in the league right now. I mean, we have to see how his knee holds up for the next, I don't know, 12 or 15 seasons before you make any Hall of Fame proclamations. But, boy, when you've got two games like this, the guy's coming off an ACL uh, less than a year ago. And, you know, obviously you got Nick Foles, so you're stacking the box because you're not afraid of Nick Foles. And every team is expecting him to do what he does, and he does it anyway. And he's done it against the Cardinals and the Packers. 
I wouldn't say, you know, top five defenses, but, you know, the Cardinals, well, actually the Cardinals and the Packers both have issues stopping the run anyway, but what I've seen out of Gurley, it was everything I saw in college and it was everything I saw that made me think, this is the best collegiate running back I've seen since Adrian Peterson. And I've seen, I mean, and, and Chris, you watched even more tape of him than I did uh, when he was in college. I've seen absolutely no drop-off in any way or drop-off in his effect on enemy defenses, which is even more impressive. The guy is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's remarkable, I think. And it's to see him come back from the knee injury, we kind of almost just take for granted because of what Adrian Peterson did that this is a simple thing to come back from. But that was a devastating injury that he had in a, in a long rehab and you're never really sure how how a guy's going to respond, how his body's going to come back, and he looks like he never lost a step. And he's, you know, you could give him an excuse for being rusty or not seeing holes early on. That's not happening. He's not avoiding contact. I mean, he seems all the way back. And uh, I don't know that I'd go so far as to call him the best running back in the league right now, but I think he has the potential to be the best running back in the league. And that's. Uh, when you're talking about guys like Peterson and and Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Charles, unfortunately, before he got mm. hurt, uh, I mean, it's a pretty tough list to crack. And I think Gurley has that talent, uh, which is why when he went as high as he did, I don't know that it really caught that many people off guard. I mean, I don't know that we necessarily thought he would go that high because of the injury, but talent-wise, he was an obvious choice in that range compared to the rest of the guys in that draft it, well every just yeah, transcendent every, into college every, every evaluator i've talked to and you know i i don't know that we that you and i discussed it when we had the si64 but without the injury everyone said he's the number one guy period end of story and it's rare that you get that kind of absolute boom there it is Next overreaction, Cincinnati Bengals, this is the year they get over the hump and win a playoff game. This is the year Andy Dalton is different. The evolution of Andy Dalton has arrived, Chris. Yeah, I think it is. I think this is the year they get over the hump. I don't know if that means they win the Super Bowl, but I think right. they get, you know, they're, they're on the verge of running away with the AFC North if they can clear a little more ground on Pittsburgh and uh, I think that win over Seattle was another big step for them to come back the way that they did, the way that Dalton did. He got beat up in that game for the first three and a half, you know, three, three and a half quarters. Michael Bennett took that shot on him, that yeah, an idiotic penalty on Michael Bennett's part. But it really you know, was. <laughs> it was a play, type of play that in the past we've seen rattle Dalton. You know, he takes a few big hits and he kind of goes into a shell. He didn't do that, so he's playing with more confidence than he's ever had or ever shown in his NFL career, and so I think this is the year, and especially when you compare them against what else is there in the AFC. I mean, the Patriots look great again. The Denver defense looks great, but then what? Who's going to come up and knock them off in the playoffs? I I just don't see another team that's as deep as them and, and has the talent across the board that they do. Doug, what's different from Andy Dalton and the Bengals do you see this year? Well, number one, they're abnormally healthy so far. Mm. Um, so if you're a Bengals fan, you got to hope that stays up. I, I think the two things I've seen with Dalton that are different this year are his ability to throw with anticipation and his consistent deep accuracy. Um, and certainly he's a little bit better under pressure. You know, I still see some errant shots. 
when you get him off his spot and you saw those in Seattle against Seattle too, but you know, he's, he's learning to throw the anticipation. He's reading the field better and he's just, he's kind of more accurate to all fields. So working with Hugh Jackson has definitely, you know, I'll tell you one thing, Hugh Jackson has coached himself uh, this year back into an NFL head coaching job in 2016 of that. I'm pretty certain. Um, but yeah, and the, you know, they got a great defense They've got that uh, thunder and lightning running game with Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard. The offensive line is stellar. If they stay healthy, I don't know who's going to stop them. Outside of the people in Foxborough, of course, who should sure. be able to stop everybody. Sure. That's a big roadblock there up by 95. But our last overreaction for week five. News broke late last night. A little piece of America died. I can't believe it. No more nude pics. In Playboy, what's next? No more sports pictures in Sports Illustrated? Come on, people. This is this is a travesty. An end of an era. It's over. What do you think, Chris? No more nude pics in Playboy. Well, no more gifts on the, on Twitter. We know that much. Yeah, that, yeah well, hmm. That's that's quite affected by that, that at this point. Yeah, but you know that was always questionable copyright uh, practice to begin with. So, uh, but. You know, come on, Playboy, Americana, no more nude pics. Come on. I, I'm not sure how to answer this one without it I, and, and, being and, a problem. Twelve <laughs> year old me is disappointed. Right? <laughs> come on. School Chris Burke is very now sad you can right just now. now you can just leave your Playboys out and not hide them underneath your mattresses for these little prepubescent kids. It's terrible. Yeah. What's that? You still do that, John? I don't need no. I mean, you know, it's just out of habit. You know, I can't. I can't sleep on a flat mattress. I need. I need the mounds of magazines underneath it hidden. The uh, petrol and the pee. Fairy tale at th- ten. Okay. Is yeah. There you go. You still. You still got. There, there's other magazines out there if you need them. Yeah, but you know, Playboy. I mean, that's what they sent the troops and all that <laughs> stuff. It's just like. <laughs> I think it's I don't a know. really really good time to move on here. All right, Doug. We'll move on. And that's your week five overreactions. Overreactions. All right, guys. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be right back with uh, this week's generic sports term segment after these words from our sponsors. All right. FanDuel. I love FanDuel. You know who really is going to love FanDuel? Ravens, Chiefs, Saints fans. You guys all took a beating this week but if you love football and you're sick of being let down by your awful team take back winning at FanDuel now you can play with up to $200 in bonus cash when you use our code NFL podcast at FanDuel.com FanDuel is the leader in one week fantasy sports with more winners and more payouts than any other site they will pay out over 75 million dollars this week and every week during this fantasy football season Entry fees start at just a buck, so there's a league for everyone. Over 1 million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn to get some of the cash. If you're watching the big games every week, FanDuel ups the ante and turns your Sunday into an entirely new experience. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Not the left-hand corner. There's nothing there. It's the right-hand corner. Use the code NFL Podcast and sign up now. There's a special offer out there for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it up to $200. All 
bonuses, that gets earned as you played. That's a bonus of up to 200 bucks. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use our code NFL Podcast today. So do not get left out, people. Seriously, if you've been in a bar, at a game, or at the office, you've heard sports fans talk about their fantasy teams. It's everywhere. You cannot escape it. It's like the Kardashians in a way. Find out why it's gotten so popular and do it on FanDuel with our code NFL Podcast. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Sports Illustrated Audibles podcast. I am John DePietro here with Chris Burke and Doug Farrar, and always. Guys, we're going to do our cliche generic football term segment. This week, we're going to do a Would You Rather. The cliche generic football term segment. All right, let's get to it right away. Would you rather have Todd Gurley going forward or any other running back in the league, Chris? Uh, I was a little worried about the would you rather topic right after the Playboy topic. I didn't know where you were taking us, but um, you never know I, where we're gonna go. I <laughs> tell you, I, don't give me any ideas. I keep you on. I'm gonna write that down for next week, though. Uh, Gurley or any other running back, man. That's. Uh, I still think I would take Le'Veon Bell over the long term, but it's close for me. You know, I think I'd take Gurley over Adrian Peterson because he's nine years younger. Uh, and I certainly over Jamal Charles now with Charles injured again. I don't know that there's another back in that sort of age range that looks nearly as dominant as Gurley could be. I, I guess maybe there's an argument for Carlos Hyde if you want to make it. But to me, it's Bell or Gurley if you're you know starting a team and picking a running back. I still would take Bell at this point, but I wouldn't blame anyone who took Gurley. I'll take Gurley. I mean, he's playing behind an offensive line comprised of five UPS drivers. And did you see him flip Clay Matthews' ass yeah. over tea kettle on that pass block? <laughs> I mean, if he stays healthy, we're talking about. I mean, we're making fun of the Hall of Fame thing before. If he stays healthy, we are talking about an all timer here. There's no question in my mind about that. When you watch him, who do, who does he remind you of, Doug? Uh, I would say early Adrian Peterson. The yeah. combination of uh, lateral agility. Pure, because, I mean, people will tell you it's not speed to the hole, it's speed through the hole. And he's got that, and just the pure power. The outside power, the inside power, and, you know, you hear all the time about, oh, this running back can't, you know, run inside zone or outside zone, or he's more a power counter guy. You put this dude in any scheme with any level of offensive line, he'll just kick your ass. He's, he's, he's very exceptional. All right, next. Would you rather... Right now, nine teams have one win or fewer. Fewer than one win is zero. Uh, yes. Which, which franchise would you rather be a, fr- a fan of going forward? Who has the most promise here of these uh, below mediocre teams right now, Doug? I'll go with the Jaguars. Um, this is a team. They've got a you know, the quarterback. Bortles has been I mean, and he's hurt right now. Hopefully he can play uh, this Sunday. Bortles has really improved. The receiver core is coming around. I think TJ Yeldon has a lot of potential. And these guys are so young. And they're building from the ground up. I'm a little biased because I know a lot of the guys in their front office. And I, I have a belief in the way they're doing it. But it's starting to pay dividends. It's starting to show results. And yeah, they're one and four. 
but they're one and four in a really suspect division because even the Colts are vulnerable now. And if you're at, you know, going forward over the next two or three years, um, you know, you look at these other teams, I mean, the Chiefs, gosh, who knows? The Texans, kind of the same deal. Ravens, Dol- I mean, Dolphins, yikes. I would not want to be a Dolphins fan right now. Uh, Lions, we talked about a rebuild. Saints are obviously going to need major construction. 49ers, uh, punt. Uh, yeah, I go with the Jaguars. Oh, man. Um, I, I'll, I guess I'll say Miami. And I, I think it's because I think a lot of their issues through four weeks this season and dating back to last year have been coaching-related. And I don't know that they're necessarily going to get a turnaround from Dan Campbell coming in and just, you know, beating the crap out of people during practice. But I think a lot of their problems have been scheme related. I think a lot of their mistakes on offense have been and then will continue to be, I guess, you know, as long as Bill Lazor is calling the plays the way he has been, it'll continue. it's just been that I don't think they're utilizing their personnel correctly. Some, some of the similar problems to what we talked about with Detroit. But I think the talents – there, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily a mistake for people to think that they could jump into the playoff race this year because we we see the players that they have on both sides of the ball. And that defensive front should be one of the most dominant fronts in football. You know, Ryan Tannehill started to show some progress, and Lamar Miller started to show some progress. That doesn't just vanish overnight. I think there's still talent there. So I think Miami – can get it turned around whether or not they're competent enough in the front office to do so remains to be seen but I don't think it's a total wash there I mean I think Detroit too 0 and 5 this season's gone but again we talked about the talent they have there that defense is still a, a pretty solid defense despite what the Arizona game shows if they could ever figure out how to use Matthew Stafford you know they they were a a picked up flag away from winning a playoff game last year Doug, I just want to go back to the Jaguars real quick. Do you think uh, have you seen enough to think that Blake Bortles is the guy going forward there? I've seen a lot of improvement. Um, just in his field, he looked overwhelmed last year. A lot of improvement in his field reads, throwing with mobility, um, and you know his his targets are better. I think it's you know they they knew when when Shad Khan bought that team and they they gutted the front office, they gutted the roster. They knew they'd have to start from scratch. They knew they were. I mean. I've asked them to write stories about their process with me, and they're like, no, 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 not until we win, and it's going to be a while. So they're, they're aware that they were going to be the butt of jokes, and, but they were going to do it their way and the right way and the long-term way. And as a, well, as a longtime Seattle Mariners fan, I know that sometimes that's just a bunch of BS, but I think in this case it's really showing forth. I really like the pieces they have around him, too, around yeah. Bortles. Yeah. T.J. Yeldon, I think, is going to be a really good running back in this league. Uh, we've seen Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns be productive. Hearns is a stud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish Marquise Lee could get healthy and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's going to happen. Rashad Green's been hurt. But there's certainly some guys there that can help Blake Bortles. He's not throwing to no one. They really wanted to build the offense around Lee, too, so it's a shame that he's not all the way there. We'll see if the Jaguars can get their second win as they take on fellow one-win team, Houston Texans, on Sunday. All right, guys, last would you rather. Would you rather be the Colts heading in to play the Patriots in Week 6, or would you rather be Tokyo with Godzilla heading to town? Chris? I'll, I'll take Tokyo. Yeah. 
I think it's going to uh, look pretty similar. <laughs> uh, we saw what happened when Tom Brady gets pissed off. Well, we've seen that enough, haven't we? We, we know what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be bad. Yeah, and it's going to be And the really, culture, really the object bad. of the Patriots' ire, huh? Oh, boy. It's yeah. not just who was the who was the guy last time they played that Gronkowski blocked into like the ninth row of the stands. I think we're gonna oh, see some of those oh plays God. too. It was one of the safeties. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And he, I think he hadn't he mouthed off before the game or something like that. Like he had said something. And you just yeah. You don't, you don't tug on Superman's cape. That's that's my uh, Jim Croce quote for the day. The cliche generic football term segment. There you have it, our Would You Rather edition of the Cliché Generic Football Term segment. We'll be right back with your Twitter questions, your social questions on the social bag. The guys will answer your queries. We'll be right back after these special words from our sponsors. All right, what is this here? The SeatGeek app. I love the SeatGeek app. You know who also loves the SeatGeek app? Chris Burke and Doug Farrar, they're on the SeatGeek app right now as I'm speaking up. I bet they don't stop talking about it. But did you know that NFL Week 6 has some great rivalries coming up? In the NFC South, the Saints host the Falcons. Detroit and Chicago clash in the Midwest. And in the NFC East, it's always a battle between the Giants and the Eagles. Make this the year you finally go see a game in person and do it with the SeatGeek app. When you use our code Audible, SeatGeek will send you a $20 check with no catch. 20 bucks just for using it. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone and Android. It's free and takes less than a minute to download. I'm assuming that depends on your connection because if you're in the subway, I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take. Then you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code Audibles, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. SeatGeek is literally paying you to use their service. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available all on one page they also have a feature called deal score it ranks every ticket on the market with a value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded map of the venue so you know you're getting quality seats finally SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process easy seamless and safe on SeatGeek, you can store your credit card and once you find a ticket you want to buy you can make the purchase with just that was three. That's more than how many taps it takes. It takes two taps on your phone. There's no faster way to buy tickets. So this is what you need to do to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check. Download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code AUDIBLES in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to go see the NFL, college football, or playoff baseball, Use the SeatGeek app and enter our code AUDIBLES to save $20. All right, guys, I want to let you know about something that's happening that's very cool this week. My colleague in the Panoply Network, Richard Deitch, does a must-hear podcast about sports media every week. But this week, he's landed one of the most wanted guests ever, WWE announcer, manager, legend Paul Heyman. Don't miss this fantastic edition of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Search for it on iTunes or visit si.com backslash podcast for more info. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the Sports Illustrated Audible's football podcast. I'm John DiPietro here with Chris Burke and Doug Farrar, and this is now going to be our week five social bag. Well, it's just week six. I don't know. Anyway, this is the social bag for the Audible's podcast. The social bag, the social bag, it's the social bag. All right, Chris, this one is from you. For Paul, This is not from you. This is for you. Uh, yes, we're providing our own questions. Yeah. Well, sometimes we have to do that, but not this time. Uh, Paul Lewis on Facebook, I believe, wants to know, how likely is it that a nine-win team gets a wild-card spot in the NFC? Uh, I think it's very likely at this point. I may, maybe not even nine wins. I, I mean, I, the NFC South has two a 4-0 and a 5-0 and team, so that's you're sort of looking at one wild-card team that gets into that 10-11 win range, but uh, the rest of it's shaping up, certainly for, I don't, I don't know that any team in the NFC East gets to nine wins. Um, maybe Minnesota in the North. Probably no one else in the South. So you're talking about uh, if the Vikings and Seattle or St. Louis can get up above that nine-win mark. That's really, I think that's really the window. Otherwise, I think we will see a nine and seven team make the playoffs in the NFC. All right, Doug. Next one's for you from Kenneth. DeGraff, is it finally time to let Stafford go in Detroit? And if so, who is a possible trade free agent draft pick the Lions can pick up? I was thinking Connor Cook. Still believe he is the most pro-ready quarterback in college football. We talked about Matthew Stafford a little bit already, Doug, but uh, and answer Kenneth's question here. Well, no one's going to trade for him because his cap hits are just insane. Um, it's $22.5 million next year and $11 million in dead money. I mean, no one's going to trade for that. Um, I mean, you're not going to trade for that unless you're getting Peyton Manning five years ago or six years ago. Um, as far as Connor Cook, I mean, you know, I really, as long as I've been doing this, I really struggle to say this guy's the most priority and that guy's the most priority in season because I see these things switch around. I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched enough Cook to really be able to project that. I don't tend to do that until after the season you know i i would go back to what i said before they need an offensive coordinator who understands how best to utilize stafford who is a very in he's an idiosyncratic quarterback at best and you can't just put him in a box and say you're going to do it this way you have to sort of let the leash the leash loose a little bit um i mean i would i would kind of what mike mccoy's done with philip rivers you know, they haven't had a lot of success, but McCoy and Rivers have a great relationship because McCoy knows how to rein it in and how to let it go. You know, I think I think Stafford is salvageable. I just I look at that coaching staff. And I don't know what they're thinking. Chris, Arthur Fur wants to know, is Tampa Bay a 500 team this year? Tampa Bay, 500 team this year. Uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, I mean, I think that they're certainly Jameis helps them when he's not making boneheaded mistakes. And uh, he made one or two on Sunday, but actually played a really good game against Jacksonville. But you match them up. I just don't. I mean, they're still the 32nd ranked defense in the league scoring wise. So. That's a big issue. I think there's. it's going to be at least another year or two before they're formidable on that side of the ball. Um, 
you know, I, I still think that they're probably in the four or five win range this year with a, a look ahead towards next season. But we've seen stranger things happen for sure. And again, talking about the NFC picture, it's not where like there's uh, a lot of teams that are establishing themselves as really dominant right now. They the, the Buccaneers don't play Green Bay. They don't play Seattle. Uh, they don't play Arizona. So, you know, it, the schedule's favorable to some extent. I just don't think that they're quite there yet. I, I do think that they have to be happy with what they've gotten offensively so far, and not just from Jameis. I think Doug Martin has looked, especially this week, looked fantastic. And if you can get him back to what he was, that changes the dynamic of that entire offense. They're not going to win anything until they get a defensive coordinator who understands that you can't run Tampa 2 as a base defense in 2015. That defense is abysmal. Doug, Charlie Foster, who is the best wide receiver option out there for the Cardinals to solidify their offensive production during our toughest five-game stretch of the season? The Cardinals or the Panthers? I don't know. Uh, Oh, yeah, Panthers, you're right. Carolina. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think the Cardinals are Hold, okay. I'm going to start that again. All right, Doug, this one's for you. Charlie Foster, who is the best wide receiver option out there for Carolina to solidify their offensive production during our toughest five-game stretch of the season? Uh, Steve Smith? <laughs> uh, not that would sure make sense. who they can get in season. I mean, they're going to have to rely on Cam. They're going to have to rely on that run game and uh, a very stout defense. You know, this is the way they went. They traded away all their targets a couple of years ago, or, or before last season, excuse me, and they just sort of hoped it would all work out. Kelvin Benjamin got hurt. They didn't really take any corrective action, and here they are, and it, it, it's going to hurt them. I, as far as trading for someone in season, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you can, uh, you know, St. Louis seems to be offing their receivers since they don't really feel like using them so maybe you can get a Stedman Bailey or something like that but you know pretty much at this point you got who you got Chris Jared Billingsley wants to know what do the Cowboys got to do to make the playoffs holding on to hope there this uh, Cowboys uh, build a time machine and go back and take Tony Romo off the field before he gets hurt boom roasted I mean I don't I think the only other option for them is to continue to root against everyone else in the NFC East and hope that you know, first place team is five and six when Romo gets back. Because once Romo gets back, I think they could run off a few wins in a row. But I don't see them, whether it's Brandon Whedon or Matt Castle at quarterback, I don't really see them finding having enough offense to beat the teams on their schedule. So, you know, they're two and three and looking at two and seven. Thanks for answering those questions. Thanks for sending in your questions. Uh, keep sending them in, sending them in, and our guys will keep answering them. And that's our social bag for this week. The social bag, the social bag, it's the social bag. All right, guys, let's wrap things up here. At the end of the day, Chris, after week six is all said and done, at the end of the day. Uh, At the end of the day, I think the Philadelphia Eagles will be, I guess you consider them the favorite in the NFC East again, because I think that they're going to beat the Giants on Monday night. Uh, mentioned a couple of times now that NFC East is sort of in flux. No one's really stepping up. The Giants have played fairly well the past four weeks. The Redskins have hung in some games, but the Eagles are starting to come on. We, we saw some signs of life from Sam Bradford in the second half uh, in week five, and 
I think that they're on the verge of really getting things going offensively. So at the end of the day, week six, the Eagles pull back into for first place in the NFC East, and uh, I guess you'd consider them the team to beat at that point. Doug Farrar, for you, after week six, at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I think the Buffalo Bills will write themselves by the season's halfway point and turn themselves into a wild card contender. And I think the main reason is Tyrod Taylor. Um, you know, you, you see developmental issues at certain points, but the guy just always seems to write himself. And they got a major test against the Bengals. So we'll see a lot about what this team is made of. They've gone one loss, one loss, one. And the penalty thing is, is kind of nuts. But, I, you know, I think this team believes in Rex Ryan. I think the message is on point. And I think when all is said and done, they're going to be a 9-7, and 10-6 team. And maybe make some noise in the playoffs. I'd say that Ronald Darby kid, that rookie cornerback, is playing out of his mind. And at the end of the day, I can't wait to see what next week's Monday Night Tilt, uh, what officiating fiasco we can talk about next week because uh, we're on a streak here, and I like it. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Sports Illustrated Audible's podcast. My thanks to Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for downloading. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and we'll catch you next week. That'll do, pig. Pig.